We're not doing another Atari story, honest. All this and more coming up on This Week in Retro. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. TV shows coming up later. Peter Molly's New Leaf. And DEL, wordpad.exe. All this and more coming up on this week's show. Up to date news for out of date tech. Hello, Chris. How are you? Ah, not too bad. How are you, Dave? I'm very well. There's no Neil with us this week. Neil is doing a retro road tip tip. Yep. I hope not. Trip <laughs> to Berkshire, I'm told. So he is he is last seen sending a picture of the sorriest looking bacon roll remote <laughs> service that. station that he paid six pounds twenty for. Um so Neil won't be with us today. Just the two of us. Um how have you been this week? Have you been doing anything interesting? Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, um, a few pickups and stuff like that, and still playing about with Windows ninety eight. I now hate Windows ninety eight, Dave. So we won't talk too much about you're that. Wrong. You're wrong to hate Windows ninety eight. Oh, it's wonderful. Drivers, drivers, and then patches. I'm now at the stage of I'm getting a lot of software that I want on this particular machine, and then you realise some of them don't work with Direct three D. So then you've got to find the patches wow. and. And that was easy when they were current. But anyway, I said we won't talk about it. Um, a quick bit of news, though. So there's a there's a place in Perth called um, Nostalgia Box, which is one of these retro places you can go and hands-on, uh, almost a hands-on exhibition space, dare I say. Um, and Ooh. they have kids' groups and stuff like that in. Who'd have thought? But basically, they got on Shark Tank on Channel 10. Um, so if you want to watch that, you're in Australia. That's still available on Catch Up or Ten Play or whatever it is, um, and you can see how shark. what their pitch was. Yes, they were fed to the sharks. So you, you can see what their pitch was and um, and whether it was successful. But it was just great to see not only a retro um, business uh, on mainstream TV, but a local one in Perth because it is you know a, a tiny little city in the scheme of things. So that, that's really cool. That's really encouraging. Um, and also. Um, one of our listeners, Dave, is he's gone and started up his own podcast. So, Reese, Reese. Well, Reese, yeah, we know Reese has another one, and a, a real Australian. One. This one. one. So, Tony, who is Oz Retrocomp, we actually had him in one as a guest mm-hmm. um, uh, before. Uh, he's actually started up his own podcast called Grumpy Oz Retro, uh, which is himself and his mate Craig um, over in South Australia, um, and they had me on as a guest. So that was nice, nice little switcheroo being the guest mm-hmm. rather than the, the main presenter. So, yeah, it was really enjoyable. Wish them all the best with it. So, yeah, it's mm-hmm. really cool. What about yourself? It's been, what a, you while. Been, it's been a while since Tony's been on. Yeah, I we get yeah. Back on. Um, I have been really busy, but I've been finishing off the Amiga. The Amiga is completely closed up. All the internals are done. It works. I mm-hmm. connected it up to the, the black um, new old stock Gateway 17-inch CRT. It looks glorious it looks wonderful the picture quality is even better than i possibly could have hoped i've got this scan magic plus um scan doubler and um, mm. flicker fixer inside it the output is fantastic i'm really pleased with it little problem with the the audio the as you'll be aware uh, maybe maybe not everyone's aware but the amiga had this idea that it was stereo when really it wasn't it had four channels and if you used the four channels as stereo, like it was default set up for, you ended up with music, music and sound effects and games just sounding weird because they weren't made for the stereo separation. It just awesome, sounded you mean? Weird. Awesome. Um, weird uh, with I headphones. <laughs> but but Commodore were clever enough that if you only connect the the left RCA jack on the Amiga twelve hundred, you get mono and all channels all channels on that. So it's just a question of oh, now really? getting the, the right little adapter to connect that to stereo, and then I'll get all channels from both speakers, and it won't sound wrong. But then you won't have any separation. So then you won't have things like in a game, if something's coming from the left, it sounds like it's from the left and from the right, which a lot of oh. games do. Swift, no, a lot of the dungeon crawlers especially do. Oh, do they? Oh, do, they yeah. do they, though? No, they do. do. 
They actually do. Yeah. yeah. And of course, well, the further apart your speakers, the better it is. Oh. Because what I what I found with games and so on in them is they just treat all four channels separately without any real regard to stereo separation. So you'll get music in one ear and sound effects in the other sometimes. Depends what you're playing, really. But but most yeah. of the games are what well, the good games, they 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 use it. They use stereo separation. Well, that's fine. To I will keep my ears open so, for that and I'll find yeah. out what's right. Ideally, I guess I want a switching that so I can switch between it for, that's for good. Compromise. That, yeah, 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 yeah. But the Amiga, the Amiga's great. I'm really happy with it. And also the Atari ST is not being ignored. I have the Mega ST keyboard retrobrated. The keycaps have come out. It's actually sitting here. The keycaps have come out absolutely lovely. They are perfectly back to their, their wonderful grey. Those slanted function keys are so iconic on it. They look great. Keycaps were really badly yellowed. They come out great. The shell is getting uh, retro brightage now. Unfortunately, the, the hot patch of weather is gone, so oh. the shell may take a few days. But once that's in, I can put the brown Cherry MX switches in. I can get the a perfect Atari ST mechanical keyboard to go with the Mega STE, and both my Atari and my Amiga will be complete. I can't wait for that. That's pretty impressive yeah. retro brighting for the ten minutes worth of sun Scotland's had this summer. So, that's oh, we had we we, we had we had a, <laughs> we had ridiculous amounts of sun. We didn't know what to do. In fact, it's cooking hot. It's cooking hot in here. It's cooking hot outside. Even mm. last night, um, it was torrential rain, like bucketing down, proper bucketing down, and it was still twenty degrees outside. Now, elsewhere in the world, you might be thinking twenty degrees, twenty degrees centigrade is nothing, but in Scotland, we're used to the rain taking all the heat away and it just hasn't done it so it's, we're tropical now there'll be palm trees and there'll be lizards and all stuff about we've got a name for that over here in australia What's tuesday that? yeah 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 <laughs> but you've also got air conditioning yes that's correct yeah, yeah it makes a big difference we've got humidity and sweat yeah do we have any housekeeping We have more housekeeping than we've ever had before. We have an enormous amount of housekeeping. Maybe a good thing Neil's not here this week because we've got so much of it. Um, first of all, um, I need to start this housekeeping with some real profound thanks to the community on Discord, in Reddit, on Twitter, and in YouTube comments. You guys have been providing us with things we've missed or misunderstood or other things that have happened related to what we've discussed especially in the past few weeks there's been so much related to what's happened changed and the way in which you've done it is all done in a really pleasant tone you don't get the actually i think you'll find attitude from people in our community it's been great so thank you very much for the way you speak to us the internet is full of unpleasantness but all you lot are great I'd also like to welcome our newest patron, Carl, and welcome back, David. Carl joined with this message. Thanks for being something I look forward to on a Saturday night, even out camping. What a nice message. Um, thank you very much, Carl. So going back to our uh, talk about Dolphin and Sony Wipeout, um, Solipsium has pointed out on the subreddit, Rockstar Games published a cracked DRM-free version of Midnight Club 2 on Steam instead of removing the DRM themselves. So rather than taking their own game, removing the DRM, they've just Googled it and found a pirated version and used that. Now, this is, this is not the first time it's happened. I did mention it happening before, although I wasn't talking about Rockstar. But if you wanted any, any more evidence that software... Uh, software preservation can be significantly helped by piracy, then here it is again. Ah, fantastic. Quick bit of housekeeping I'm going to throw in here, Dave. Um, you were adamant the other week about there was no Star Wars cinematics for quite a period. Mm -hmm. Somebody has corrected you. So Jitman Camp 6698 um, has, you know, sort of, Reminded us all of the Ewok movies, of course, which were actual movies, and depending on which country you lived in, they were theatrical releases. So the Battle of Endor and Caravan of Courage. Do you, do you not count those, Dave? They're, they're canon. They're canon, mate. They should be put in a cannon and fired out. <laughs> if you're an upset a Star no, Wars fan, I remind them that those films are canon, and it's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I understand that they exist and I was aware that they exist and it 
I still don't feel we really got any cinematic Star Wars. Um, it when um, X Wing came out, those cutscenes that really scratched that itch that hadn't been scratched for ten years. Um, Neil, I mentioned Weeble and and Badger, 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 Badger. Of course, by the time the show aired, a new version of Badger was out. Uh, the 20th anniversary. There's links in the show notes. I personally prefer the Rave one. There's links to both. I'm not sure if Badger, Badger, Badger was a uniquely British thing or if it managed to make it around the world. Let us know in the comments, please. Nice. Um, I've had a bit of a tip from Generation Pixel. So last week I was moaning about the fact that on my PS4 when playing the Atari 50th collection, it wouldn't let me use a USB mouse or trackball um, to play Missile Command. And he's pointed out that what you can actually do, so on the PS4 controller, obviously you've got like a, a flat pad, which is a massive button, uh, but also it acts as like a finger pad, a bit like a you know a trackpad on a, on a laptop. And you can actually use that to control Missile Command and a couple of other games as well, including Centipede. Mm. Um, so I tried that over the weekend and it works fantastically. So thank you very much, Stuart slash Generation Pixel. But that tip works great. Oh, sorry. And also on that, on the 50th collection, sorry, I really should throw this in here as well. Um, what I'm finding is it's a really good uh, collection to stop you overspending on Atari Jaguar games on eBay, <laughs> which we may talk more about later. So I think I'll save my thoughts for that. There's a real danger that housekeeping will be changed to Atari news. There's loads to see on um, the, the two recent Atari stories we covered and also a further development. And I want to say to people that have little interest in Atari, I am sorry we're covering so much of it, but these things are important. Atari is the first name in retro that I think everyone thinks of. And these things are happening now in their big events and time. And surely they can't continue to be big news like this uh, going forward. So it's not, it's not a, a conscious decision from us to cover more Atari. It's just what's happened. So first of all, more information has come out about the 2600 plus. So this is an 80% version of the iconic Atari VCS, also known as the Atari 2600. Um, it's got HDMI out and takes real carts. Now, as, as expected, it's been now being confirmed that it rips the ROM and then plays it from memory. I don't think any real surprise. They were all expecting that. But people had a faint hope that it would be more true to the original and use them live. Now, that means that many of the existing flash carts probably won't work because they rely on complicated things like bank switching memory, meaning that when the, the plus rips the cart, it won't see all the memory, so it won't work. Um, however, I do think that carts that use dip switches to, to, to present memory to the, the Atari, they probably should work. As long as the dip switch is set before the Atari is switched on, then it should present just that to the Atari and it, it can't tell a difference. But to be clear, I mean only ones that function through dip switches. If there's a menu, it likely won't work. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I hope, I hope there can be a way. But I, I haven't played with any of the 2600 multi-carts myself, um, but I know that the actual official Atari carts that are multi-game carts, they basically change game when you flick the system on and off. So I can't see why that that mechanism wouldn't work um, if, if a multi-cart exists that, that does it that way. Mm. Um, so maybe there's hope. I know that the official one that comes with the 2600 plus, the new 10 in one, it uses dip switches to do it. So the dip switches will mean that there's a larger memory chip and by using the dip switches, you effectively turn it into just a window on a part of that memory. So the Atari only sees that window and you can move the window around so it sees there. But nobody will know until it actually comes out. Perhaps little changes can be made. Perhaps the firmware can be updated, and that's the next thing about it. There's a difficulty switch in the back, and the and there's also um, a 16.9 or 4.3 uh, switch on the back as well to help you get the right picture on your TV. The power is supplied by USB-C, and they also intend to use that to deliver firmware updates, and that's the huge bit of news here. Not only does that mean there's a bit of hope for them fixing things that aren't compatible, making little changes to it, or indeed for someone else to make a patch that makes it that makes it work, it also means that things will be hacked and augmented fairly quickly, and it'll do more than it's sold as doing once the once other people get hold of it. So presumably it'll run Doom within a week. Um, next update is the Atari cabinet. So the Atari arcade cabinet is a, an Atari fiftieth 
branded arcade cab with surprisingly 50 2600 games and 14 arcade games in it. We were a little bit underwhelmed with the arcade games in it. I noted that we're all a certain period and that my favourite Atari arcade games weren't on it. What we should have realised and what we didn't realise is, of course, that Warner acquired Atari and there was a rather rocky road for them, and they split things off. Warner Warner had huge losses, stock price dropped by two thirds, etc. It's known as a video game cash, and in North America, it was an enormous, enormous event that caused all sorts of problems. That's when you hear about ET getting buried in the desert, and turns out that's actually true. I thought it was one of these stories that people made up, but no, they did do that. Um, Atari created Atari Corporation, which was the the consumer electronics and home computers, and sold that on to Jack Tramiel, which is where we got the wonderful Atari ST from. The phones went to Mitsubishi, and they retained the arcade stuff as Atari games, but then sold it on to Namco in 1985. So that's why the different IPs went different directions. So it looks as if... um, the games are on there, the ones they perhaps already own the license for, and they didn't want to go to somewhere else and buy the license in to use those in the in the one hour machine. That makes perfect sense. Um, the current Atari, which used to be the French company Infogrames, owns some but all of not all of the previous Atari incarnations IP. So maybe they'll acquire all that. I don't know. We also said that this is the first one-up that we could see that had a trackball, and we're not correct. A few people pointed out that one-up did a centipede cab last year Uh with a trackball. So the centipede one had three buttons, a trackball, three buttons, and then the kind of top right, it had a spinner. And it also had the kind of volcano switches for player one and player two. This one has kind of grouped the, the three buttons together to make room to put a joystick on. So you have a joystick the, the, the spinner and the trackball in one machine, whereas last year's one didn't have the joystick. Joystick's a huge addition. Lots of yeah. games need the joystick, but the three of those in the one thing make it a fairly, fairly versatile thing. Cool. Um, there's a tweet from Adam Korolik, and he says, when the Jaguar ended, they sold the molds to Imagine, who used them as dental equipment. Imagine sold them to Mike Kennedy, for the Coleco Chameleon incident, who sold them to Atari Age. So he says Atari once again owns the Jaguar. Now, I'm not sure what that really means. I don't know if it means that I don't think they own the IP for the, the guts of the, the Jaguar, maybe just the molds. I don't really know. I don't know. But if it is true, it's a lovely bit of neatness for everything coming back to them. That that would be cool. Uh, um, it would be it would, surely it would be commercial suicide to re-release the Jaguar though, because it wasn't the best received console back then. It's and I think the market is too niche for for a re-release of that because it's not recognisable by you know mm. the bigger fan base. Mm, yeah. it, it's it, it's more popular now than it was in the day. People more it is, people are. It, yeah. it's funny it's, it's a bit like it's like a it's like one of these films that wasn't popular when it on release and now it's more popular now it's one of these cult things it's a, a cult classic console it's true well, look i hope at least that they re-release jag games that's what i'm looking out for because yeah. the prices of originals are stupid for what yeah. are and i'll say it they're actually subpar games for the period the system came out in um yeah. But games like Doom and Alien vs. Predator, which are fantastic on the system, they would, of course, be subject to other IP ownership. Um, so, you know, the best games probably would never see a modern release in theory, yeah. but anything's possible. Yeah. Maybe if maybe there would be no point without those. They would, they would make sure they were there. Um, the last bit of, of Atari news this week is the huge one, and it's the acquisition of the Atari Age website. It happened before we aired last week, after we recorded. We weren't ignoring it, we just didn't know by the time we recorded. So Albert, the guy who runs it, has announced that he is now an employee of Atari. He says, this is the first version of Atari that I've seen since the 1980s that is taking many positive steps to restore the magic that we all associated with the original company. Atari is now taking its retro-related IP seriously and is creating a wide array of of hardware and software based on that IP, while also creating new original content. It is very exciting to see Atari release the 2600 Plus, a new 2600 you can feed actual cartridges, and without giving anything specific away, this is just the beginning of what we're going to see from Atari going forward. 
What does this mean? Short term, nothing is going to change. I will continue running the entire Atari Age website, including the forums and the store. Nothing is going to be neutered in the forums, and Atari will not have access to personal conversations, private forums and clubs, and so forth. No content is going to be removed from the forum, and those posting content will be liable for anything they post, which is already the case. Elsewhere, he says, criticism of Atari is not going to be censored. So I better explain what Atari Age is. Atari Age is a website that started as just a database of games and a forum, and it's grown and is now a thriving hub for that, as well as a shop for homebrew games and add-ons. They focus mostly on the Atari console. I think there's a little bit on the Atari 8-bit micros, but I don't think I'll ever see anything about the Atari ST on there. So it's not a site that I visit because I tend to, the Atari ST for me, not so much the consoles. Chris, do you use it? Um, no, but, but I'm aware of it, and and while this is exciting news on one hand, it's it's really interesting. This would be like Cloanto buying out English Amiga Board or something, you know. Um, so I'll be watch, but I'll I'll actually be watching this with caution, um, because it could just turn into a way of Atari just making free money, essentially free money from the homebrew scene, maybe, or worse, start issuing takedown notices once they've got past this sort of honeymoon period. I hope not. I hope mm. I'm wrong. Um, yeah, watch with caution. Um, yeah. yeah. So the the main news feed on the main page isn't updated very often. In fact, I, I'd gone to Atari Age when we did the, the 2600 Plus story to get some information. I thought Atari Age will, will give me information on it, but they didn't even have a news article and they still don't. So I'd expect that's one area where Atari will want to have maybe a slightly different flavor of reporting than they do in their own website. So not just the press release, but they'll have someone who is probably positive about Atari stuff, but someone else's take on it uh, to give people a one-stop place to go for it. It's not the first site Atari have bought. They also bought Moby Games. I'm not a fan of Moby Games. Um, any, there's a couple of things. Any British game that got a port to the US system um, or sold in the US under a different name by, uh, by someone else, no matter how minor, is then listed under the American name. Hmm. Um, so Driller, for example, is listed, listed under Space Station Oblivion, which is ridiculous. Never even heard um, that title. No, it, it happens to lots of games. Lots of lots of British games just get renamed to whatever the kind of the minor one was in in the in America. It's it's, it's terrible. Um, and despite Anstream being basically wrapped up emulated games in the system, and it's a great system to use. I'm not knocking Anstream for doing that. It's a great way to do it. You can get achievements and competitions and so on through it. Um, Moby Games lists Antstream games as separate releases, which is nonsense. It's not a separate release. You look at Speedball 2 and you see there's an Antstream release. Oh, what's the Antstream release like? Oh, it's just the Amiga version. <laughs> yeah. um, they, they're really great with me. I've always wished there was something else instead of Moby Games, but there won't be while it exists. Um, however, nothing seems to have changed since Atari acquired it. So they've not, they, they've at least up to this point, haven't gone wrong. Atari are going to have to walk a really interesting line where they're doing commercial stuff, but at the same time, sort of abandon where activities are going on under their noses and on a site that they own. Now, I use the, the term abandon where without caution. So what I mean by that is there's stuff going on which could be potentially shut down legally, but it isn't because the presumption is nobody's losing out. But it's up to Atari then. So lots of people are wary or unhappy and don't trust Atari, and I, I get that. Because while I think it might start out okay, what happens when some VP in Atari has a clash between what the homebrew scene is doing and what they want to make money on? What happens then? Do they say, no, we'll get our way, thanks very much? Is that the start of a slippery slope? But from what um, the, 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 the owner, uh, Albert, the guy that runs it, said, it sounds as if something had to break. It sounds as if he was looking for a way out of what he was doing because it wasn't suitable for him. So Atari buying it and bringing him on as an employee seemed to be a way for him to decide to survive because it might have, he said he was he was close to the point of, of closing things down or partly closing things down. So maybe this is a way for it to survive. I don't know. Um, I hope it goes well, though. Um, and we'll end our biggest housekeeping ever by reminding you that Lee's Spectrum event live stream is happening today, Saturday the 16th. You'll be able to watch the stream on YouTube, links in the show notes, 
And you'll also see how the auctions go, which are really exciting. They're already at big numbers, and this is only us recording earlier in the week. Um, and Lee will have some guests in over the day, including myself and Neil. I remain one of those odd people who do not subscribe to any streaming services because they're all too expensive and you need all of them, so I choose to have none. Um, although I'll happily leech uh, off other people, but, you know, that aside... Of course, I enjoy YouTube and um, the big TV behind me sees more of YouTube than anything else, uh, but it's the 42-inch in the front room uh, that's still regularly watching free-to-air TV through the antenna. And I'll have it on while I do other stuff and it's there for background noise and occasionally I'll pause my other task to see what's happening in the middle or the Big Bang Theory or Wheel of Dealers or the millionth rerun of Friends. Uh, but I'm aware that that's, that's kind of not normal behavior in most households these days. Most people would choose to stream at a time that's convenient to them. Uh, and many young families that I know of anyway don't even have the RF lead plugged in or even know why you would do that. Um, and aside from standout shows like Lego Masters and, well, like Lego Masters, there's no need to arrange your life around the exact day and time the next episode of your favorite show will drop. Um, we just don't live like that anymore. Well, one YouTuber uh, called Irish Craig Party does, um, and in a big way. So what he's done, basically he used his time in lockdowns to create a rather unique project. It's an old TV that plays old stations in the pre-scheduled way they always did, allowing him to flick between these channels and, and view whatever is playing at that time, uh, but with all the content coming from the 80s and 90s. So on the surface, that actually sounds like quite a simple project until you stop and think and you realise what a massive task this is to set up properly. He's essentially created a series of digital TV stations and he's automated them and he's given the user a way of flicking between the channels. So he's built the whole thing into a, a vintage wood grain looking TV case that he's custom built. He hasn't butchered an existing TV. Um, he has used a flat panel. Sorry, Dave. Um, he's used a flat panel from an iPad screen. And the, uh, the, the, the brain powering the whole thing is just a Pi 4 um, powering everything. And he's got obviously got a hard drive for the media. And he has custom knobs so that you can flick through the channels and he's, he's lifted all the original media and he's ensured that it's in 4 by 3 the correct aspect ratio, um, and a lot of it's been lifted from VHS tape, so that uh, actually sort of adds to the authenticity of the viewing experience. Not only does each channel have an automated schedule of shows, but it's interspersed with period-correct adverts and title bumpers for each, channels, uh, each of the channels that he's recreated, including things like HBO and MTV being two standout examples. And he's even been a bit cheeky. So he's even added an adult channel, which of course is encrypted. So when you flick to it, it's pretty much unwatchable and it's just wavy lines and a bit of static. <laughs> May spark some memories for some of us. Um, speaking of snow and static, some of the channels will actually shut down for the night, as in the feed, you know, the programming stops, but the feed continues, but it's just static. It's just snow just like it would have been back in the day, until programming resumes the next day. Uh, and Channel 3, uh, which apparently in the US is the channel you would usually plug your games console in, sure enough, on this television, flick to Channel 3, and what you'll get is the ability to play, in his case, his uh, Nintendo Entertainment System for some nostalgic gaming. He's put a ton of work into this, and I, and I really love the results. Dave... Would you sit and flick through channels on this if it were UK-based, not American stations, but if they were UK stations? And are you nostalgic for old shows and programming? Absolutely not. I, I wouldn't sit down and flick through channels. I'm horrendous for pro pro procrastination. Um, my time management at times is, is very poor. One of the ways that I found I used to do it was flicking through channels on the TV. I find myself unable to sit down to take on a task like playing a game that I'll know be in depth or watching a film for a couple of hours, but I find it very easy to just to have a look at the forums, to have a look at Discord, to have a look at Reddit, to have a look at BBC News, to have a look at whatever else. Easy to do that and then spend the same amount of time doing it and flicking through channels on the TV was one way I used to do it. So I try not to do it. I do almost everything on demand like most normal people do these days, I think, uh, apart from like football or rugby games, which you have to watch live. 
And even through, even though I go through periods of really enjoying watching Twitch streams, I really struggle because I spend too much time on Twitch when I do that. It takes up so much time. I end up going far longer than what I meant. In fact, I should probably keep some praise on the Amigos for their Twitch streams because they prepare them and you get so much more from the hour with them than you do watching three hours of, of someone else streaming. I'm not knocking someone else streaming for three hours, but um, yeah, um, what I do miss though and what we'll never what we'll never get back really, it's gone forever, is the shared experience of everybody watching more or less the same TV shows. So we all watch the same thing as everybody else and then talk about it over the next few days. So be it the Mary Whitehouse experience and telling your friends, that's you, that is. <laughs> or Red Dwarf, smeggered on the fast <laughs> show. Of course, you see, I was very, very drunk. All those kind of things where it happened and then that's all you talk about for the next few days, you miss that. But I wouldn't want to go back. I wouldn't want to, to, to lose YouTube, Plex, my streams. What I do love, though, is what this guy's done here. It's wonderful. It's not for me, but it's wonderful he's done it. What I would like, what I would like, the idea that I've got is for us to have scheduled television from the 80s or 90s. Now, it doesn't need to match mm. exactly the way it was, but so that you have this episode of star trek next generation this week plus this episode of friends plus this episode of or something else so that you've got that and next week you'll get it so that it's not all there on demand but so that you've yeah. got this week's episode on demand so it's so a halfway house that we could all do but i don't i don't think it, i don't think it really worked but i like the idea of somewhere somehow getting the shared experience back so that we all see the same things back from, back from then um, but yeah, this is it's incredible what he's done. Incredible what he's done. That that would be really cool actually, um, because you do get on free to air, and I know even in the UK, like channels like Dave and whatever, and quite often they will have stuff from say like the eighties or whatever. But they're, they're now catered to the binge audience. So if it's Knight Rider, for example, you'll have ten episodes of Knight Rider back to back. When you first flick it on, you go, "Cool, Knight Rider," and then. You know, then you're stuck on the couch for uh, an entire morning, and you're sick of Night Rider. By the end, you never want to see another episode of Night Rider. Do you know what I mean? So it's not the same as as staggering them with other shows. That would be a really cool thing. Maybe even a three three or four hour patch every week, and in that three or four hour patch, you've got six or seven different episodes in it. And those six or seven episodes, they'll maybe have, they maybe have for twelve weeks. You'll get one, then it'll swap mm. out to a different show. But you'll still have that patch where we can all sit down and watch the same things. That'd be nice. That'd be that'd be a nice way of getting the the shared experience back yeah. without, uh, without having to, um, without having to be be literally as it was broadcast. Yeah. Another way you could do it, but obviously there's IP issues to overcome, is you could use the live feature on YouTube. Um, you could do it that way. Yeah. Um, and just have a schedule just, of programs. Um, I just wouldn't want to ever give up on being able to watch TV when I want rather than at a certain time slot. Uh, it's so difficult to arrange things as an adult for different time slots. It's Nobody mm. seems to be able to meet. It's scheduling going out for a meal or going out for drinks is so difficult these days. Never mind watching all, all so watching true. TV together. It's so true. Um, you can. I, I actually quite enjoy watching old shows, either if I've got them on DVD, that's obviously one way. Um, not scheduled like this guy's done, but, you know, doing it whenever you want to. But also on YouTube, there's a lot of content. Um, the BBC Archive we've talked about before. Bad influence. Watching bad influence on YouTube, they're all up there. I don't want to. I don't want to dob in any channels in case they all get a takedown notice. Um, but pretty much every single yeah. episode you can think of is up there, um, and that took me right back. And the way I re-engaged with that is by only watching, trying to watch only one a morning, or even just a couple on a Saturday morning, just as it would have been back in the day watching it Saturday mornings. That made me feel like a teenager again, which was great. And another channel I really like watching, and I will name this one, it's called um, Retro Steve UK. I think he might have even started off doing Spectrum stuff. I'm not sure. But now most of his channel is taken up with TV adverts from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And they're just back-to-back -back adverts, which the bizarre thing about this is, right, back in the day, it's the last thing you wanted to sit and watch was mm. a block of adverts mm. in the middle of the show. But they became part of our lives. They became part of the culture. And so now I will happily sit there watch a chunk of these adverts because they're generally in about 20 minute stints right and he he does them under different categories and whatever but they just take you right back 
And then if you get interrupted by YouTube adverts, you can there's a temptation to get annoyed because the YouTube adverts are interrupting your enjoyment of watching adverts, which is bizarre. Definitely think old adverts are much better. More yeah, they old are. adverts had they, they are. Uh, it's not it's not just me being a bit of a curmudgeon and, and grumpy old man saying they were all better. But I do think old adverts are definitely better. There's, there's so many iconic ones, the Tango advert, the Hamlet advert, and all the rest of it. And these days, oh, I... The Bisto yeah. adverts, do you remember the Bisto? A lot oh, of them, yeah. they would yeah. run like a mini-series because there'd be yeah. like an update in the next ad to what the family's doing and that, that yeah. kind of stuff. It's great. Yeah, it's great. So anyway, for this story, thanks, Bob Down Under, for sharing this with us on the subreddit. Um, the level of detail this guy's gone to is amazing. And he, he doesn't have contact details on his channel, that not that I could see. Um, and in fact, this stunning video is the only video on his channel at the moment, and it's got 57,000 views in just two months. So it's instantly very popular, this project. Um, so even on the YouTube version of this podcast, you won't see any footage because we don't know where to go to ask for permission. Um, so what I'm saying is, as always, check it out via the links in the show notes. This yeah. one is definitely well worth your time. And he answers many questions in the video's description as well, such as will he make this thing available for sale mm-hmm. and will he make the project open open source? So if you've got those questions running around in your head, he answers them in the description of the YouTube video. So head on over and tune in to his channel. We are sponsored, thank you very much, by Pixel Addict Magazine. Pixel Addict Magazine is released every six weeks. Um, it is a digital culture magazine, so it's not just it's not just about the games, although a great deal of it's about the games. It's about everything that happened back then. In fact, this month's article, this month's a six weeks article I was reading on the handspring visor, which is a, a sort of a copy of the Palm Pilot. Um, don't know why it's interesting to me because I'll never want to own one. I never had a Palm Pilot, but I still enjoy reading about it. Uh, I think I enjoy reading about all the, all the takes on on different technology there. So that's quite good. Um, this 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 one you'll remember is the the issue about celebrity gamers among other things. Uh, it is available at the URL pixel.addict.media. Well done. Um, you can subscribe <laughs> to get it delivered to your house. You can download PDFs, you can get back issues, or you can go to your newsagent and demand a copy from your newsagent, and they will have to give you one. Um, Worldwide. Do they have any articles about how to install drivers and patches for Windows 98? Because that would be really useful. I think I think there's not room to get that done. I think there's not room to get that done. Remember <laughs> when the and all that disappeared? I know. I know. Do they have the patches on a cover disc? Because that would also be really helpful. <laughs> a CD cover disc with patches on it. No, yeah. uh, thank you very much, Pixel Addict Magazine. Peter Molyneux made some of the best games that I've ever played. Not long after I got my Atari ST, right through the dossier into Windows 98, there were some wonderful Bullfrog games. It just so happens that my first Bullfrog game, Populous, was their first big release in 1989. Powermonger, Flood, Populous 2 would follow before I moved to PC, and then things went up a notch with Syndicate, Theme Park, Magic Carpet 1 and 2. I missed a few and then came back in the the Windows 95 area for Theme Hospital and Dungeon Keeper 1 and 2. After Bullfrog, I played black and white but i didn't play fable fable was console only although i think around a year after the console release there was a, a slightly enhanced port come out for windows and one day I, I might get to it i'm not sure why i didn't i think it might have been all the negative attention around it. i think fable was when peter molyneux reputation began to sink um, it hadn't quite crashed but it began to sink so before i get into that um, Chris, I'm, I'm not sure Bullfrog made too many games that suited you. Am I lining you up to say, yeah, I've not played those games? <laughs> yes and no. Uh, there's quite a few that I haven't, but a fair few that I have actually. So Syndicate, I actually played that on a PC. I know a lot of people have love for the Amiga version, but it was a PC game as far as I was concerned. Theme Park, uh, for me, that was played on the SNES. I'm not big into those style of games like Theme City, Theme Hospital, whatever, but Theme Park, I mean, what's not to love? You know, setting up your own... Hmm your own theme park and and um, making sure your 
your patrons had somewhere to eat and uh, stuff like that. Um, and Magic Carpet is a very interesting one. It was either Magic Carpet 1 or 2, and I swear it was a demo because I'm pretty sure I never had the full game, so it's probably on mm-hmm. a cover disc, cover CD, which used to come on magazines, um, probably either PC Zone or PC Gamer. And I remember liking it and thinking I would like to buy this game, and then I never did. Um, but, yeah, nice games. Yeah, Magic Carpet has this this really amazing atmosphere, mm. and you travel – it's one of the first games I remember traveling really quite fast and feeling quite realistic. I'm sure the graphics, of course, don't hold up so well today, but they're good enough, I think. Yeah. Uh, Magic Carpet is absolutely amazing. In fact, I've got a, a Bullfrog shelf there. Um, all Bullfrog games, I think, are nearly all Bullfrog games. Throughout the four years of Fable's development, Molyneux would do his best to market the game as a never-before-seen new step in modern gaming. Now, this is not a departure from what he's always done. In fact, he famously blagged Bullfrog's first 10 Amiga computers when Commodore mistook his Taurus company that exported beans for another company, Taurus, that did networking for computers. Commodore being incompetent? I'm absolutely shocked. But I think this is just the way he operated. He was a hype man. He was a salesman. And I think the problem with Fable is that finally the horizon needed to be so far away from what was possible in order to wow people into thinking this is really amazing that it was so far away from what they could deliver that his hype fell so short of the product that was that it went all wrong and beyond fable things really went badly for Molyneux until the until the point it was basically a pariah where uh, he couldn't uh, he couldn't really do anything now it turns out he's a new man now, this story was submitted by me because I, I'm fascinated with Peter Molyneux and I'm always ready to forgive him. Um, it's about a podcast interview he did. Um, and I should say it's not with Neil because he has been booked in twice uh, with Neil for a tea break and he's stood Neil up both times. So boo to Peter Molyneux for that. Um, it's a different podcast he did. Uh, it's an NME article I've linked, uh, which will take you to the podcast. Um, And he says here, I used to specialise, if that's the right word, in talking about the games that I made before they were finished. You know, as any unfinished project goes, quite often things change, and that development process, I think, people mistook that as being promises of features in the game. He then talks about being lost in the passion of game development of that era. He did say it was an atrocious thing to do do to his team. He says... I have an enormous amount of regret for it. I feel remorse for what I did. What I should have said in every interview is, everything I say, take with a pinch of salt. I may not even tell the rest of the team about it. So what he's trying to say there is that when he was talking to people, he was talking about aspirations and hopes for what would be in the game rather than this is the finished plan and they're just finishing, just filling out the coding for it. I kind of, I kind of see his point. But repeatedly, people took that as promises, so he should have adjusted his behaviour accordingly. I think he knew very, very well he was hyping things up. He was getting people talking about his games, so they sold more. And, of course, it worked for him right up to the point where I think game development became so complicated that he ended up talking things that couldn't possibly be delivered. Now, I'm going to try and read the next bit with a straight face. And I, I chose the, there's lots of coverage of this, this podcast, but I chose NME because they had this wonderful paragraph. It's not the last paragraph in the article. The last paragraph is some kind of cat hook to get you to read a different article. But this, this is effectively the last paragraph. And it said, earlier this year, Molyneux said that his present project features a mechanic that has never been seen in a game before, but shares a lot of similarities with Black and White and Fable. So I think Enemy knew exactly what they were doing here after saying about him apologising, just saying, look, he's back at it again. Um, Chris, can you forgive Peter Molyneux? Will you trust him with game dev again, or should he be banished back to selling beans? I'll forgive him because I didn't really know the backstory before you brought this story up anyway. So, yeah, he's forgiven by me. But uh, in preparation, I did have a look at a few clips just to do some background history. And funny enough, it was actually Bad Influence, the first one I came across, where he's uh, giving an interview about Magic Carpet. And it's interesting because he was openly saying, this was him saying this, 
this is an engine in search of a game and is explaining that they've refined the engine and showed the, the different iterations of this flight engine that they come up with, the voxel spacing and stuff like that. And But he said he literally says there's there's no game as such. That only comes from playing and testing and tweaking and retesting. And, and he literally wasn't making any promises at all in that particular interview. So I'll throw a link to that one in the show notes. But this does remind me a bit of, you know, more recently we had No Man's Sky and a lot of people did make comparisons between Sean uh, Murray and, and Peter, you know. But No Man's Sky, I think, is different. It, it was it was outright deceptive, the demo uh, footage that was shown before the game's release. However, good on Hello Games, they slowly over time delivered on those promises by releasing patches, which they released for free. And obviously you can get away with that in this day and age, not so much in the 80s and 90s. I was going to say on No Man's Sky, I think, and I'm not certain about this, I think it's now a happy ending for that. They've sold lots oh, yeah. of the game. People have got what they've paid for, mm. and it's all worked out all right. I'm thinking of another example where that hasn't happened, and that's um, Dino Dini's kickoff revival, okay. where he released the game. He didn't do what he said he would do, mm. and then he tweeted about a year ago saying, people want me to go back to kickoff revival, but are they going to support me financially to do it? Mm. And um, he blocked me on Twitter when I linked him to the views of kickoff revival, which were very negative because he sold a game in physical packaging. He mm. sold a physical game as complete, which wasn't, it didn't do all the things it was supposed to do. It wasn't a particularly enjoyable game. And then he, he, he did the audacity to come back and say, well, if you pay me more money, I might finish it. So yeah. that, that's an example that didn't go No Man's Sky. No Man's Sky is a fantastic example of things going right. But the thing is, No Man's Sky, it wasn't a bad game. It was the fact that it didn't live up to the, the promises it itself had made, and that's the problem. You know, the golden rule is under-promise, over-deliver, and it's it's the complete mm. opposite, the absolute mm-hmm. complete opposite. And what I love about what Hello Games did was, you know, the fact that they gave, they listened to the community, they continued to develop, and they, gave, they pushed it all out for free, Whereas you take, uh, and you know, they're, they're a relatively small new studio. Whereas you take something like EA Games with a Disney tie-in, right? They do the the the, the new Battlefront, the e, uh, Battlefront EA, Star Wars Battlefront EA. The community hates it because it's just a storefront, but we've paid full price for the game, so the community is up in arms. What do they do? Well, they, they listen to the community and they rectify it with Star Wars Battlefront Two, but they don't give you that for free. You've got to buy an entirely new game to get the experience you were expecting in the first place, you know. So Hello Games did a fantastic thing; they really did turn it around. So I do think that I think there's a big difference between you know the early days of Hello Games and Sean Murray and what Peter I think was doing back then. He mm-hmm. he does seem to me from what I've of the, the interviews I've seen, and I, I did look at some negative ones as well as some positive ones. He seems quite dedicated to the craft. And in fact, one interview I found on People Make Games, he actually tells her he nearly lost the relationship with his now wife as they they didn't have time to go out on a date while he was uh, working on black and white. And he literally put off their first date for three weeks. He basically said, look, give me three weeks. I need to get this work done. And then, then then I'll give you some attention. And, you know, so the game was released and he's now clearly still married to this woman so it worked on both fronts but that was his level of dedication so i think you know maybe well it ties in with black and white uh no it wasn't black and white it was black and white for that but another game um that he didn't quite deliver on the promises was the dynamic weather system no sorry that was in black and white was in black and white so uh, people were expecting this dynamic weather system linked in with the actual weather in the area that they were playing with on the planet that wasn't delivered in the final release well, guess what? He actually had more important things on his mind <laughs> than actually finishing that. But yeah, I think it just came to me. It seems like he was just over passionate about what could potentially be in the game that he was just letting his mouth run off a bit like I'm doing now. So I'll shut up. He he did this time and time again, and he got worse at it, though. He got worse at it. He made bigger promises. He underdelivered on those. I, I, I'll still forgive him, even though I shouldn't. I know I shouldn't forgive him, but... The games that he made, Populous, um, Power Monger, all those kind of things, they give you this 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 sense of power with a computer game that you don't get anywhere else. They're just 
at Magic Carpet. They're, they're the syndicate. They're, they're just they're games that 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 I don't think the like of really exist outside of Bullfrog in the same way that the created genres incredible what he's done with them um i've said before that i feel as if populous is almost the first real-time strategy it's not quite but it does there's, there's certainly real-time strategy elements in there um it, just incredible and that's why i'll forgive him because those i played those games before he then burned his reputation being this ridiculous hype man so I know he talks rubbish, and I know he makes promises it'll never happen, and I know he's only apologising now because he's got a new game coming out, but he made Populous, he made Magic Carpet, he made Syndicate, and that's enough for me to forgive him every single time. Microsoft are about to decommission something from Windows, and I think you're going to miss it, while also realising that you didn't know it was still there. Um, so while we all rely on our nice, expensive annual subscriptions to Office 365, Mostly so that we can basically just write documents in Word, right? That's the main thing we, we potentially use, maybe a bit of spreadsheeting as well. But, you know, wonderfully formatted text with headings and subheadings and maybe a table and carefully placed page breaks and all perfectly laid out and until you insert a nice image and the whole thing turns to spaghetti. You know, that's that's generally what we do. But did you know that ever since Windows 95, you actually didn't need Office to do that at all? And, in fact, it came from before that, but I'll come to that later. Because in Windows, ever since Windows 95, a neat little program called WordPad has lurked in the background. And it does not everything Word can do, but a fair bit, including text formatting, you know, so changing your fonts and sizes, that kind of stuff, inserting images. It's got drawing tools. It's got alignment tools. You can do bulleted lists, um, just like the one I'm reading from right now. And you can change your indent indenting. Okay, it's not a whole lot, but the fact is you can do the kinds of things required to keep most text tasks tight and tidy. Got that on the first take, didn't I, Dave? No. Um, yeah. And in fact, WordPad is, a, is a, actually a modern version of Write, which you may remember from Windows 3.0 and even before that. And now that I've told you that it's there for you to use, Microsoft apparently, according to a story shared with us by Ishitum, are getting rid of it. So the link... Ishitum gave us uh, is is actually a link to uh, a piece on thorough.com by Paul uh, Thorough. Uh, and in the article, Paul details the demise of WordPad and how it doesn't really matter in this day and age. Paul's source of information is a page by Microsoft themselves, uh, which I'll put in the notes as well. It's a very long list of items that Microsoft are decommissioning, is the word they use, um, or at least stopping development for. Um, so basically depreciating features, as they call it. Dave, do you have WordPad memories? <laughs> and and what else do you actually, off the back of this, what else do you fear Microsoft may depreciate next for the operating system? I'm not really enjoying modern Windows. I think from Windows 10 onwards, in fact, probably some elements of Windows 7, but Windows 10 onwards, Microsoft went down a very different route and I stopped feeling like the customer. Windows 98 Second Edition is a fantastic operating system for us to use these days. Don't say a word. Um, if you do want to do any PC gaming right up to the early double O's, then it's the OS for you. Right going back to the mid-80s, PC games, it, it suits because, with the exception, of course, of Windows 3-only games, it comes with a version of DOS that's very compatible that also suits larger hard drives and has a lower memory footprint than other versions of, of DOS. So it's the ideal version of DOS, even though it came with Windows 98 Second Edition. It's the ideal version of DOS. So it's a great operating system to install on just about any retro DOS PC. And that, that's why I've installed it several times. And I quite enjoy, believe it or not, I quite enjoy installing Windows 98 SE. Um, it's the tone of what Microsoft say. They're saying, here's what we've done. We've made this better. You can do this now. We hope you like it. We're trying our very best. And we really think we're doing well. Here's our product. That's how it felt. Not now. Not now. It's you'll do as you're told. You'll install updates. We'll ask you some questions about what flavor of updates you want to do, but you'll do them. Whether it's at 5 o'clock in the morning or 5 o'clock at night, you'll do them when you're told. More stuff is locked down. The search in Windows is deliberately broken to get you to go on to Bing. 
to get you to do stuff that Microsoft want you to do to make money from you. I don't know how much data they capture and send home. I don't really know. I don't know if I believe all the kind of the, the, the doom and gloom stories out there, but I'm sure there's plenty. And of course, we don't really pay for Windows anymore. I'm still on the Windows 7 license through free upgrades to Windows 10 and then Windows 11. So I, I paid a small amount for Windows 7 and I'm still on that same license. So if I'm not the paying customer, then I'm the product being packaged up and sold to someone else. And I don't like that. I would rather pay a, a modest amount for Windows and that, that would be okay. In fact, I always thought that Microsoft's business model, I always thought that their business model was that they didn't really worry about how much they made from home users because it was important that home users used Windows so that that was what they used in the office because that's where they made their money. But as to WordPad being gone, I'm not surprised. I, I never really used it because I I've, I couldn't do without having Excel. I, I must have Excel. And I don't even think you can buy Excel separately. I'm not aware of it anyway. So I've always had Microsoft Office. Uh, and I've now got 365. So I've always had Excel. And because I've had Excel, I've had Word. And because I've got Word, I would either use Word or I would use Notepad. In fact, I don't use Notepad. I use Notepad++. So I use Notepad++ or Microsoft Word. Um, WordPad or, or Write is a halfway house between the two of them. What you said, though, about the functionality or what you said it does actually sounds quite good. It sounds as if, do you know, I wonder how often I don't that isn't enough for me. I wonder how often I do something in Word that isn't able to be done on that. But because I've got Word anyway, I'll use it. So I, I won't miss it. As to what they'll take next, I don't know. I think anything is fair game. I think paint, calculator, etc. Maybe taking away and then try and sell us a different version with ads on them or with as many links as possible to, to Bing and photo printing services and so on. They're certainly... Uh, as time goes on, I'm sure they will they will try and make more money from us. And of course, with operating systems, I feel that for general use in operating systems, more and more is happening inside the browser. So the operating system doesn't perhaps matter as much. I'm not saying that 2023 is the year of the Linux desktop, but we're seeing Chrome OS starting to creep in in all sorts of places, and it's fine. It's fine if it launches a browser, it's fine. So I don't know what they'll take away next, but it certainly feels much different than what it was in 7 and then XP and then 98. They're certainly not interested in keeping me happy. Mm. No, fair enough. Um, you, you can actually still upgrade, by the way, because, you know, they, they said you could no longer upgrade to Windows 10 for free. You still mm -hmm. can, and I've recently done it. And I must say the experience was mm -hmm. as painful as installing Windows 98 because it was my dad's old laptop. It was stuck on Windows 8, so I had to mm -hmm. get that from Windows 8 to 8.1 and then from 8.1 mm -hmm. to 10. It literally took me three nights to force this mm. poor little laptop through this series of updates. Did but it eventually? Nothing. Like, like I said, nothing. I know, it, I know. It, it's, it's it's still, it still did it. It's still, even though they said you can't do it for free, you still can. It doesn't doesn't stop you at all. Would you not rather pay 50 quid and feel like a customer? Yeah, I know what you mean. And look, they do do some good things, like the Office 365 suite. I think other than the fact that we're paying for it every year, it's a good mm -hmm. deal because you get five, like, especially in a family situation, you get five licenses. Um, it used to be just two devices per user, but now I think it's even more than that. Plus you each get a terabyte of one. sounds like I'm selling for Microsoft now, but you each get a, a terabyte of OneDrive space, not for the account, for each user in, in, your, yeah. in your group. That's fantastic. I've you know, got that, so. and it's, 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 I, I enjoy it. It's great. It's, mm. it's good for what it is. Um, I just don't, I'm not, everything seems to be tied into a monthly subscription now. They yeah. design it yeah. so annual. that they can attach a monthly subscription to yeah. it. But, That's yeah. where the money is. It's just That's the way things the are now. Yeah. Yeah. But with with regards to WordPad and, and Write, I mean, I remember I don't I have used WordPad, but not as much as I used to use Write. Because when I got my first PC, my little 386, I didn't have Office on it, and I was, I was at the time writing letters on my computer to my girlfriend, my now wife, um, and that was, you know, that was the machine I did it on. Didn't have Office, was using Write, and you could still save in dot, uh, doc, you know, format, or RTF was its own format, rich text format. So I found it quite useful back then. Um, but, yeah, it's just nice to have – I think it's nice to have these minimal functionality items 
inside the operating system. I think that's quite cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and MS Paint is the one that springs to mind. Please don't ever get rid of MS Paint because even to this day, I find that useful um, in personal stuff or in or in work. Sometimes you don't want to have to wait for Photoshop to load to do a simple task if you know that it's a quick crop that you can just, you know, copy, paste, paste it into Paint, crop it, maybe change something, and then save it out. It just does the job. Um, it's nice to have that functionality built into the OS. And another thing that springs to mind is um, you also had MS Works, didn't you, if you remember that? Sort of like a cut-down yeah. version of Office, yeah. um, much yeah. cheaper and good for home users and small business. So, yeah, there were those kind of options out there as well. So I think some people will miss WordPad. Most won't. Um, but check out the list of other things that Microsoft are depreciating. I do love that word. Uh, Paul also made mention of another depreciation that's on the list, but was in fact decommissioned back in 2021. Cortana. Yep, Master Chief's digital assistant has been getting the DEL star dot star command for two years now, and I'm not sure anyone noticed. So I think we need to write an article about features that we've lost from Windows over the years and ones we'd like to keep or revive. And when we're done, we need to save that article in rich text format. So now it's time for our question of the week. And the question last week was... This week, which was last week, we are looking for stories on video games and friendships. Did you make friends over gaming? Did you lose friends over gaming? Did those friendships go on to shape your life? So we're going to quickly go into the subreddit, which I believe Dave has clicked whichever magic button he needs to do. Is that right? We're out of contest mode. We're out of contest mode. We need a contest mode jingle, like a countdown or something. And do you want to read the first one? Something dramatic. We need that for that. Um, Fulton Bot says, yeah, made friends for sure, bonded in middle school with all the freaks, metalheads, punks, nerds, new waves, gamers, etc. in 1982. We all started playing D&D together, then Atari and ColecoVision. Some of us have stayed friends until this day. And yes, similarly, many of the kids I knew in elementary school rejected gaming and either disappeared or were outwardly hostile. However, for the most part, the kids that were gamers, D&D players, early computer users went on to be successful in technical fields and many still were there at the right place at the right time to build the World Wide Web. Funny enough, most but not all of the kids who rejected games and computers have faded into obscurity, flamed out, or are living in their parents' basements. A bit of resentment there. Ooh, a but, little bit. Um, yeah, but it, it, it's true though. It's true when you look at um, when you look at the people in in our in our spheres. They all seem to be well, not all, but most seem to be in really decent jobs, it's comfortable true. lifestyles. Yeah, it's true. All because we do have to manage EMS memory to play X Wing. <laughs> um, the next one, nuclear silo for sale. That was the case in my case anyway. He says, 1980s gained friends over heated arcade battles with strangers and the owner-employee noticing and giving us free unlimited credits so nobody could win our contests with money. Uh, 1990s lost friends and disowned my brother if they beat me to selecting Toad in SNES Mario Kart. Nice. <laughs> and in the 2000s gained friends with uh, Ventrilo. And playing Ventrilo, the... yeah, Ventrilo was, was Teamspeak, okay. except better. Oh, <laughs> okay. Ventrilo for ages. Oh. Discord killed it off, I reckon. Right, okay. Um, and playing silly dress ups uh, and banter in online games. Yeah, fantastic. Nice stories. What's the next one, Dave? Tungsten Orchid says I had a friend a few years back who I bonded with over gaming. He introduced me to many of the mainstays of modern gaming, such as Valve and the Half Life series. I'm glad someone's calling Half-Life modern because it is modern gaming, if you ask me. Um, even though it's 20 years old. We would also, we, sorry, we would discuss the games we've been playing and even did some multiplayer co-op gaming, Portal 2 co-op mainly. Unfortunately, he died about five years ago and I've not met anyone else who I relate to in the same way. Well, that's a bit sad. I'm sorry it's to hear sad. that. Yeah, that's very sad. At least he had some good times together. But yeah, that's sad. Yeah. Cool. Um, anyone want to quickly skim over from the remaining ones? Richard's written an essay. He has written an essay, but he didn't get in the top three, Dave. I don't know what we should do. He's talking about, he's actually talking about us. Firstly, happy two-year anniversary. Apparently, we've been oh. here two years not noticed. 
Um, has it really been two years of tour friendship? It seems only yesterday I saw the friendship between John and Neil blossom on the show. As many of my previous community answers have hinted, my fondest memory involved the friends I had around me enjoying games. So difficult to choose one, so I'll again go with the one that popped into my obscure memory. This was playing stunt car racer with a null modem cable on my Amiga with a friend with a lovely name, Richard. So two Richards together. I won't shorten that. Uh, this was playing stunt car racer with a... Oh, the thing that brought this to mind was my... Poor friend lugged his Amiga and Philips 8833 monitor over to my house for a day of gaming, only for me to point out that the TV in the corner of my bedroom would have saved him carrying said monitor across <laughs> half the town. He's a big, strong lad, probably even stronger after such an effort. I naturally assisted carrying things for his journey home, which brings me to a later event with the same friend. We were older. The tech had changed to a mega CD. The game was Columns, the an odd choice for the CD medium, but it was a pack-in game and we had grown tired of Sewer Shark. Never heard of Sewer Shark. Uh, quite quickly, armed with a few bowls of mushroom soap. Soup, surely. Uh, it's mushroom soup, must be. The mushrooms having picked fresh from the moors the evening before, we played and played. 12 hours of playing and giggling like children. Yes, the mushrooms might have added to the amusement somewhat. We were young, please don't judge. And that brings me to the present day. I found so many friends thanks to the hobby, thanks mainly to the RMC Discord, not attempting to name them all, but highlighting a specific Velociraptor. I hope that Johnny's returned home safely. Yes, he has. He, um, he uh, Johnny escaped the other day, and uh, I'm, I'm trying to uh, not become emotional. Thank you, Richard. And anyhow, before I get too sentimental and mention a lovely Australian that does play games, as long as Maria is involved somehow, I'll shut up. Thank you, Richard. That was very kind of you. <laughs> yeah, Maria has to be involved. Lots of great comments in this week's question. There's a, uh, yeah, talking about Sega Saturn and play, playing PlayStation at Christmas, that kind of stuff. This is what I love about this hobby because it's it just brings back the people, the faces. So I see. Seems a lot of people feel the same which is great so this week's question of the week is basically off the back of that tv that fantastic retro tv project that we talked about earlier and the question is quite a simple one what tv shows give you a big kick in the nostalgias and why and it doesn't need to be a retro tv show it could be any tv show that gives you the nostalgias whether it's a modern one whether it's an older one Yep. So do uh, to participate, head over to our subreddit at reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. Um, remember, today is the, if, if you're listening on the day this was released, today is the day that Lee will do his event, his live stream event with all those spectrums on YouTube. Link in the show notes. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful weekend. Bye. I'm waving. Chris is waving. I will ensure that at some point today, Neil waves. And Duncan's so waves. probably waving. Yeah. Hello, Duncan. Bye, Duncan. This Week in Retro was presented by Neil from RNC The Cave, Chris from 005 Agema, and Dave. It was produced by me, Duncan Styles. The podcast version of the show is available through your favourite podcaster, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel. Join our community subreddit at r slash thisweekinretro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show. If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.